0: Hey, I'm Jim Richards. We want to welcome you to message number eight in this series, Drawing Near to God. And today we're going to be talking about Jesus, my Passover lamb. And you notice I put that in the, the uh, personal, my Passover lamb. I hope that when you think about Jesus, you think about him as your Passover lamb. You know, I was just thinking as I was getting ready to start shooting this, how how tragic it is. And, and you know, most of our Ivy League uh, institutions, uh, when they first began, they actually taught uh, at least the Greek New Testament. They may, I can't remember. They may have actually taught a lot of the Hebrew Old Testament. And so most of our politicians back in those days who went to these schools They studied the Bible in these Ivy League schools, and they studied the Bible in the original languages. That is so phenomenal to me. Now, this means that they had an understanding of the Bible that, honestly, the great majority of pastors and even seminary teachers that I meet uh, don't even have the equivalent knowledge of the Bible that politicians have back in the early days of our country and back in the early days of these of these institutions but the thing i think about with that is there are so many wonderful rich realities in the scripture that you can't get uh, really without having some knowledge of the original language and it, uh, it just uh, amazes me what we miss and what we get wrong through our subjective humanistic interpretation of things that Jesus said. You know, whenever, whenever, uh, uh, whenever John showed up, John the Baptist showed up, you know, and he saw Jesus, he said, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. They knew what he was talking about. They immediately understood because they understood all of the, uh, the temple sacrifices, all of which were types and shadows of what Jesus would ultimately fulfill in spiritual reality. You know, one of the things that we know about our universe, which is quite interesting, is that our universe, the, the created world, is a digital simulation, uh, which means that it is a copy. Of something that exists in in a in a reality other than what we see, what we what we are seeing around us is, is a digital simulation of a reality. Well, now anybody who read the Bible would have understood that before NASA figured it out, and because we we realized that whenever Moses, when he gave all of the instructions about building the tabernacle and all of the instructions about uh, all of the sacrifices, uh, he was told to be sure that he followed or copied the blueprint that was laid out in heaven. that's That's an amazing thing. All of the sacrifices were designed. They were blueprints. They were types. They were not realities. They were types that would show us or point us to a reality that would be fulfilled in Jesus. You know, First Corinthians chapter five, verses six through eight, actually points to the fact that Jesus is, in fact, our Passover. And so in order for us to understand being able to draw near to God, which is what this series is about, we have to understand the significance, of every one of the feasts. If we don't understand every one of the feasts, then uh, to a great degree, we're going to be limited in understanding what Jesus did through his death, burial, and resurrection, and even limited in understanding the second coming of Jesus, because the, the second coming of Jesus are revealed in the feast, uh, just like uh, his first coming, his death, burial, and resurrection were actually revealed in the feast. All right. So we know that the Passover is an event that took place, um, in Egypt when the children of Israel had been slaves and captives in Egypt. And that is a type of us being slaves and captives in sin. You know, it's kind of interesting there, you know, in the, in the liberal godless theology and, and immature theology of, of many of the pop theological movements, uh, we are starting to embrace something in the church world. I'm not, and you're not. Uh, people who listen to me don't embrace it because people who listen to me would be deeply, deeply offended. They don't listen to that kind of stuff. But, uh, you know, th- there is a doctrine that's floating around that's saying that actually uh, we we are not born as sinners. It's not it's not our nature. Well, I got news where you, you can't even take a casual reading of uh, the book of Romans without coming to that realization. But you have to realize the typology here was the fact that the children of Israel, they were born in Egypt. They were born into a corrupt system. They were—they—they uh, uh, they came into this system with a natural tendency uh, to pursue that, which was not in line with who God really was and who God was revealing himself to be. So a man, I mean, I could we could do an entire series about the Passover and really not even come close to exhausting the information that would be valuable to us. But the key thing is this in Egypt, uh every one of the uh curses, if you will, or the expressions of wrath that the children of Egypt uh had to experience, every one of those. Uh, events actually was was aimed at a particular form of idolatry that was practiced in Egypt. And so the children of Israel had been there so long that they had incorporated all of these uh, godless pagan uh, rituals into their understanding of who God was. This is why, you know, the, the theme of the book of Exodus is be holy because I'm holy. Kind of interesting. You know, I I read these crazy posts, and it just it hurts my heart so bad. And, and you know, I saw one of these crazy posts the other day about about uh you know, nobody nobody can be holy, and and really there was a comparison of holiness, uh, treating it as if holiness is a synonym of righteousness. Those are two different words that mean two totally different things. Holiness, more than anything else, is uh uncommonness. So if something was holy, it was set apart, it could not be used for a common uh, purpose. And so um, to be holy in how you understand God is that you will not understand God in a common way in the way that all of the other religions in the world uh, look at their gods. It's amazing, uh, really, Almost the entire sacrificial system of the Israelites was corrupted uh, and uh, incorporated the beliefs of paganism and and fought, sacrifices to false god. And now, amazingly, man, this hurts my heart to say this, but I'm telling you, almost all 21st century uh, Christian doctrine is tainted with paganism, and actually, the paganism. Is the leaven that uh, with the feast of the Passover, the the feast of unleavened bread and the Passover, uh, th- they almost became observed or seen as one uh, one feast, not not as two. And but the, the whole idea of leaven, leaven isn't just sin; leaven is is beliefs, and so the leaven that that they needed to get rid of was their pagan beliefs and and interpretations of who their God was. And so we are called to be holy. In other words, we are not supposed to believe anything about God that he did not say about himself. If we do, then we are being common. We are saying God is no different than Baal. He's no different than Buddha, he's no different than any god out there that exists anywhere in in the religious realm. And he is different. He is completely different. And even though there are similarities between all the sacrifices and the pagan sacrifices, in our hearts, we absolutely uh, were not uh, allowed to present our sacrifices for the same reasons that they did. If you did, that leaven would corrupt your heart so anyhow on the night of the passover and and you know i'm not going to get as nearly as far in this as i would really really like to so on the night of the passover children of israel and i'm I'm going to be cutting a lot of corners so some of you who are really studying this out you're going to realize i'm cutting some corners i'm not twisting anything i'm just i'm just jumping over a lot of stuff so that we can get to the main point here but uh so the children of israel they had to pick out a lamb and they they would take this lamb. It had to be without blemish. It had to have no flaw in it. And of course, that represents the sinless nature of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then this lamb would be would be sacrificed, and the blood of the lamb would be sprinkled uh, on the lintel and, and on the doorpost. And um, uh, the lamb the blood would be drained. The lamb would be cooked and uh, in fire, and uh, they would eat all of that lamb. And whatever they didn't eat, they had to they had to get rid of it by fire. They couldn't they couldn't leave any of it until in the morning. Now, eating this uh this lamb this lamb's flesh, man the, the Jews knew what Jesus was talking about when he said, "Except you uh, eat my flesh and drink my blood, you don't have any part in me." Because eating the flesh of the lamb and and, and seeing Jesus as the lamb of God really presents this idea of you've got to consume him. You know, when we eat something, this becomes our nutrition. This becomes actually what uh, gives nutrition to our blood, which keeps us healthy, keeps us energetic. and, uh, And it is the food that we eat that keeps us alive. And it's the quality of the food that we eat that determines how healthy and how energetic we are, and all of that is a type of totally sustaining our lives by consuming everything about who Jesus is. Listen, it, it amazes me today that people tend to just take a casual glance at Jesus uh, and have incredibly shallow beliefs and then then gripe and complain because their faith isn't working, so to speak. And their faith isn't working because because we're not eating His flesh, we're not consuming Him, we're not uh, we're not building every aspect of our life on the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. So anyhow, so th- there is this uh, this Passover lamb and it's prepared and you eat it, and then the next day the children of Israel leave uh, Egypt. That is a type of us coming out of the world system. This is, you know, you know, unleavened, leaving all the leaven out of the bread says, I am not going to bring any of these beliefs into my heart. I will not consume them. They will not be a part of me. Uh, uh, and not only that, I that, that's sort of like I, I'm going to take all the leaven out of me, but I'm also going to come out of that entire system. So the children of Israel left, and they were to leave that entire system with all of its uh, wickedness and perversion and corruption all of its defined values of good and evil and and moral and immoral and all those kinds of things, all of those things get left behind and so you come out and and you're supposed to come out of Egypt out of the world system and you are supposed to begin a journey on into what would be the kingdom of god and the kingdom of heaven and so that that was that's the whole picture of passover except for the fact that uh again the every one of the plagues that the egyptians suffered they suffered because each one of those plagues represented some form of idolatry that if the children of Israel did not get that out of their belief system, it would corrupt and destroy everything that God tried to show them about Him. Well, that's what happened. They did not get rid of that stuff. You know, the, they barely were out in in the uh, in their journey, and, uh, and and they made a golden calf, and you know, started giving sacrifices to it. So right off of the bat, they started incorporating their their pagan beliefs into uh, what God was saying about him. And that's the thing that's wrong with the church today. You know, it's really not—the thing that's killing the church is really not just open, outright sin. It's the sin—it's the leaven— where we incorporate all of these other beliefs, all these other spiritual concepts, all these other definitions of right, wrong, good, evil, morality, immorality, ethics, and all those kinds of things. We incorporate that all into our system. Now, the reason Passover is so important, and, you know, in in Israel today, I, I don't know that the Passover is observed with the purpose and the passion and the intention that God gave us the Passover. I find it very interesting that our that our spiritual uh, journey, our spiritual beginning, the new year, starts with Passover, or starts with the the month of Passover. And so uh, um, uh, we are starting this entire spiritual journey with the Feast of Unleavened Bread, where, where really this is where we are repenting of all dead religious works, all religious concepts that we didn't get straight from the mouth of God uh, as demonstrated through the Lord Jesus. If we didn't get it there, we got, it's got no business in our churches. It's got no business in our Sunday school rooms. It's got no business in our children's churches. It's got no business in our Bible colleges and seminaries. Yet those practices and those philosophies are actually more revered than what the Word of God teaches. But anyhow, here we are. You know, we, we, we are following exactly what the children of Israel did and actually what the early church did. The, the early church very quickly uh, uh, began to incorporate uh, Gnosticism. Uh, mysticism, legalism, Judaism—they begin to incorporate all of these things into their Christian doctrines as ways to make themselves feel comfortable. But to the degree they made themselves feel comfortable, they alienated themselves from God, the Creator of the universe, the supernatural God that that really could meet every single need that we ever have. But one of the most important things is this: the Passover. Uh, represents the fact that one of the things that separates us from the world is that we will never, ever come under the wrath of God. Repeatedly in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul uh, makes reference to the fact that we are delivered from wrath. We read this scripture last week where we talked about the fact in Romans 5, 8, it says, God demonstrated his own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, in other words, when we were sinners, when we were wicked, when we were ungodly, when we were perverted, when we were murderers, liars, adulterers, uh, you know, uh, pornographers, all that we were, God sent Jesus to die for us. He didn't wait until we deserved it. He didn't wait until we were worthy of it. He sent Jesus to die for us and And so it says much more verse nine, much more. in other words, how much more if God sent Jesus to die for us and therein he demonstrated how much he loved us because you can't you can't get an expression of love any greater than the Son of God coming to planet Earth, living a sinless life, becoming our sins, and then uh, suffering all the consequences and all uh, that our sins would have required that we uh, face, that we suffer, and even greater than that, to become or to obtain the righteousness that we would never be able to obtain. Uh, so, man, I'm telling you, that, that's, that, that's, a, that's a great demonstration of the love of God. But then he says, verse 9, but much more then, Having been justified. Now the word justified is not just exactly like the word righteous. It's very very similar to the word righteous, but the word justified gets into the idea of being declared righteous, of being legally made righteous, of being uh, positionally uh, made righteous. Now you say, well, 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 what difference does it make? What do you mean legally, positionally? What 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 are you talking about? Uh, what's the difference be- between being declared righteous uh, and actually, you know, in- enjoying righteousness? Well, righteousness is a state of being; it's a quality of life; it is a quality of character, and uh, uh, we are given the power of righteousness whenever we are born again. We are we are legally have access to all that is ours uh, because of the fact that we have been made righteous. We are positionally baptized into the body of Christ so that God sees us as righteous. We have legally been made righteous. We can't get any more righteous than we are at the new birth. But what we can have and what we usually don't have is see we start with justification and then we move into sanctification, and sanctification is where you move into the personal experience of righteousness. And so we've been legally made righteous, but the question is, do you live righteous? And people say, "Oh, well, see, that's that's works." If you're, you start talking about how I live, that, that that's work, mm, well, it's called good works. And the Bible says we are created unto good works. And so the idea is. If we believe that we have been legally and positionally uh, given the gift of righteousness, and uh, and if we see the value in what righteousness brings us, then we give ourselves to that, li- to that life, and we feel righteous, we enjoy righteousness, we experience righteousness, and, uh, and, and that's what we give our lives to. So sanctification is where you move from having something legally to where you are having something experientially and it is affecting the way that you're living your life and i'll tell you again in pop theology today uh people will act like well because you've been positionally and legally you know declared righteous you don't, don't worry about it don't worry about how you live well no you you need to be concerned about how you live because there there are a lot of factors in our lives that will determine or uh, that, are, that are, our ability to experience are going to be determined by whether or not we do actually live in righteousness. Now, that's not dead works. I'm not saying that you earn righteousness. I'm not saying you earn favor from God. I am saying there is a path called the path of righteousness. And in that path, Proverbs 12, 28 says, there is no death, there's only life. So, so when you're walking in this path, when this is your way of life, it changes the quality of life that you experience. In every single way. Now, it's also important that you realize that we have been uh, declared righteous and we have been legally made righteous by the blood of Jesus. And this is what happened on Passover. The blood, it's kind of interesting. We don't, I I've talked about this in a recent uh, a message that I did just a couple, I don't know, a couple of months ago. I think it, it was probably in my series on faith righteousness. But I talked about the fact that that we have a lot of uh, uh, limiting beliefs about Passover and about what you know what the Passover brings to us. But you have to realize that this blood, actually, that was that was sprinkled on the doorpost over the doorpost and over the lentils. This was this was the blood that that said my household is committing itself to God. We've we've already. Repentant of dead works, uh, we are we are consuming uh, the Lamb of God, and we are accepting the fact that the blood of Jesus makes us clean, and we are entering into this realm where our faith is in the fact that His blood was was sacrificed. His blood uh, was where the the blood was sprinkled on the altar before God in the heavenly holy of holies, where we receive the propitiation, which is the satisfying of righteousness before God. And and we actually give ourselves to that. But because of the fact that we have been made righteous, we are, in fact, uh, delivered from wrath. And so we begin this journey with God, and we're not told this. It, it, it just amazes me at the lack of depth uh, about what we have been given in Jesus. We're not told that we're delivered from wrath. Matter of fact, we're kind of told, all right, now you're saved. You better do right, because if you don't do right, God's really going to mess you up, and God's really going to be against you, and he's really going to be uh, you know, upset at you. But I am telling you, you have been delivered from the wrath of God nothing bad that ever happens in your life is happening because god is pouring wrath on you if in fact you are in the lord jesus christ and in fact we we have not just been delivered from wrath we have been made righteous which means we are now qualified for everything that exists in the realm of the kingdom of heaven and so the kingdom of heaven even though it is given is not just something that okay it's been legally given you know, God told the, the children of Israel, long before they ever got to Canaan, He said, I have given you this land. Past tense. It is already yours. Well, I got news for you. Not only did they had to march all the way to Canaan, they had to fight the uh, the, the enemies of God. And by the way, those enemies didn't, rec- uh, they didn't represent demons. They represented works of the flesh. And they had to go into the land of Canaan, and they had to fight against all these nations that represent all the different works of the flesh. Why? So that they could possess that which God had freely given them. Listen, if you don't start your journey with God, understanding I am delivered from wrath and I am qualified for all the blessings, for all the promises, for all the inheritance of the kingdom of God, if that is not your starting place, you will never reach this destination Of living in this realm called the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. Instead, you'll struggle your whole life and the whole 40 year journey of the children of Israel wandering around in the wilderness and dying in the wilderness without having received the promise. Does that mean that God was slack concerning his promises? No. Does that mean God didn't keep his promises? No. It means they did not experienced sanctification. They did not fully give themselves to that which God had freely given to them. Listen, be sure and share this with people and be sure and go to impactministries.com. I got a series with you as a gift for everybody who becomes a world changer. You can purchase it if you like it. And then plus you got all of these free ones that that I'm putting here on our website. And uh, man, dive in here. Uh, You want to be able to draw near to God with your heart uh, uh, cleansed by the blood of Jesus with a heart of confidence and faith and assurance with absolutely no fear and no condemnation. And uh, that's where God wants you to go. That's how you're able to make this journey with peace and joy. That's how you're able to reach the destination that God's called you to. Okay, be sure and show this to other people and check out all the stuff we got on our website and become a world changer with us today. Help us raise up one billion disciples around the entire world. God bless you. I'll be talking to you again next week. Thanks for listening to the Weekly Impact Ministries World Changers podcast with Dr. Jim Richards. If you like what you've just heard, we encourage you to share our web address, www.impactministries.com or drjimrichards.com with friends and colleagues. Be sure to check out the resources section of our website from previous broadcasts and our videos. Join us next week for another great message by Dr. Jim Richards.